0: Well, I invite you to turn with me today to Revelation chapter 2. And we'll be reading from verses 1 through 7, Revelation chapter 2. And when you found your place, please stand as we read together, as I read. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first, which is in the paradise of God. You may be seated. This is God's word to us today. So this Lord's Day, you are maybe not expecting to come and hear a message about Revelation. The book of Revelation can be challenging, but it is a treasure trove of encouragement, blessing, and inspiration. And I encourage you to read it more. I wish I had more time to explain why it is, because today we will only focus on one passage in chapter 2. I haven't done a deep dive into Revelation in quite a long time, but I would say that the book of Revelation has a special place in my life. It played a role in my conversion many years ago as a teenager. Believe that, a teenager who had never studied the Bible, starting with Revelation, but that's how God uses His Word. So, I invite you today to open God's Word to the last book of the Bible where we will read a letter written 2,000 years ago to an ancient church that records words spoken by Jesus himself. It will both challenge us and it will encourage us. The first section of the book of Revelation, after the apostle John who wrote Revelation, after he sees a glorious vision of Jesus is a group of letters to seven churches. Ephesus, which we read today, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. John writes down Jesus' actual words to these churches. Now, there's been a lot of speculation about this part of Revelation, but most commentators and I agree that these were real-life churches who received a unique message directly from Christ himself. So they were churches much like us, much like Redeemer. Jesus speaks to them both praising and challenging them. Jesus commends them for what they're doing well, and he admonishes them for what they are not doing well and what they need to do better. And through these letters, we can learn and we can be encouraged by Jesus' words because perhaps not much has changed since the first century. The church is, after all, still the church, still the same body of Christ. So let's listen to Jesus' words to the church in Ephesus and learn from what they have to say today. The apostle John is told to the angel of the church in Ephesus write. And commentators disagree over whether the word angel here in Greek means a literal angelic being, which is possible, or more generally to a messenger. But whatever is met, what follows is Jesus' commendation to the Ephesian church. And these are the same Ephesians that Paul wrote his letter, the book of Ephesians, to. So Jesus praises them. And he starts by first praising and commending their endurance. So let's think what it means to endure in our faith. Well, first, to endure means to keep going, no matter how hard or how difficult the path gets for you. Those of you who, like me, were, are, or were distance runners, and I was many years ago, You know how hard it is to endure when you're about two-thirds of the way through a long race. And anyone who has ever run a race knows what I'm talking about. Your body hurts, and you want nothing more than to stop. But you keep going because you know the finish line is getting closer. So we have a clue about how the Ephesians were still going because in verse 2 they were, quote, not bearing with those who did evil, and they were testing those who falsely claimed to be apostles and teachers. So they were enduring by doing these things that were honoring to Christ. Second, enduring means to not grow weary. Jesus commends the Ephesians in verse 3 for this. He says, "'You have not grown weary.'" How easy it is for us as believers in Christ and for the church to grow weary. It may seem like the battle is never-ending against false teaching, against heresy, against those who twist the Bible, against those who hate the church. And the battle is not only from within, it's from without. We face a hostile world. That our Lord said would hate us for the faith that we profess. And think about that today. So, Redeemer, you don't want to go to that church because, fill in the blank, because they preach and teach the Bible, because they believe Jesus is the only way to salvation, because they believe that God's design for marriage is to be between one man and one woman because they believe that by God's good design, there are two genders, male and female, and we don't change them on a whim. It is easy to become weary when we are slandered by the world, and some of you have been. It can be tiring, and it can be wearying to feel like you're in a constant battle, and it seems that the battle has intensified in recent years but don't lose heart because we have a Savior who has won the war and he has promised us his presence. Take heart and know that Jesus is with you, that he has won the victory. Trust in him and endure with him. And we read on that Jesus praises the Ephesians because they opposed false teaching. We skip down to verse 6 in our passage. Jesus praises the Ephesians for opposing the Nicolaitans. And we aren't sure exactly who these people were, but we can conclude that they were a heretical group spreading unbiblical teaching of some kind in the churches. And if you read ahead in this section of Revelation, the Nicolaitans pop up again in one of the letters to the other churches. This is a sign of a healthy church, first, not to tolerate false teaching or false doctrines, and second, to test those who claim to be teachers. You do this, we do this as a church, as Redeemer. We discern and test Bible teachers and preachers to see if what they teach and preach aligns with the Scriptures looking carefully into God's Word to see if a teacher or a preacher aligns with what the Bible says or puts forth his own ideas and his own opinions. And Jesus is very clear here that he hates the Nicolaitans. For us today, there are many ways that false teachers can gain a platform. The internet, social media, and most especially today, YouTube. These are fertile grounds for heresy, for false teaching. Maybe you've seen this on Facebook or YouTube. Maybe you've been looking on YouTube and you've come across a a teacher of some kind and you thought, who is this person? And how did he ever get a platform to say what he's saying? It's very easy today. And all it takes is to create a Facebook page or a YouTube channel. Somehow the Nicolaitans, they had infiltrated the Ephesian church. And this is why we in the church, we must be vigilant and we need to be on guard about heresy and about false teaching. It can be very subtle at times and it can be hard to recognize. And this is because false teachers will often... Have the appearance of truth. C.S. Lewis made an observation about this when he said, By mixing in a little truth, they made the lie far stronger. It sounds biblical on the surface, but once you peel away that little veneer and dig more deeply, you start to see the errors. Maybe that's been your experience when you've read a book or seen a video on YouTube. So Jesus says the Ephesians had tested those who had claimed to be teachers and then found them to be false. And it's very possible that the Nicolaitans were that group who were claiming to be apostles. So how do we recognize then today? How do we as a church, as Redeemer, and you as believers recognize false teachers? Well, there are three ways. First, ask yourself, does what they teach align with the Word of God? That is the first place and best place that we start. Does this teacher depart from the clear teaching of the gospel in Scripture? If you ask those questions, then you will be like the Bereans were in Acts 17. They diligently searched the Scriptures to see if what Paul was preaching was true. Secondly, we recognize false teachers by asking, does he handle Scripture correctly? Now, this can be a little more difficult to spot sometimes. Does this teacher read meaning into a passage? instead of allowing the Word to speak clearly? Does this teacher take verse or verses out of context and build a doctrine around just that verse rather than examining what does all of the Bible teach? And the third question to ask when you are and we are evaluating teachers, does the teacher draw attention to himself? This is very common today. False teachers will not draw you to Christ. They will draw you to themselves. They will point you to themselves. A true teacher of the word of God will lift up Christ in his word. So these are some of the ways that we, like the Ephesian church, did 21 centuries ago, how we look and how we examine teachers We move on in our passage today to Jesus' admonition. Each of the seven letters of Revelation, they have a commendation where Jesus praises them, and they have an admonition. Except for Smyrna and Philadelphia don't have any admonition. They were doing things really well, so we should emulate them. Now, it is never easy to be admonished. All of us remember when we were younger, When our parents disciplined us, it was never pleasant, but we needed it. I remember when my mother got a certain look on her face, I knew it was coming. Jesus does much the same thing in the letters of the seven churches. But we can trust that Christ is our good shepherd. He loves us with a perfect love, and though he disciplines us with a fatherly discipline, He will always do it perfectly and always do it for our good. So in verse 4, Jesus says this, but this I have against you. I'm certain this was painful to hear. It would grieve the heart of any true believer to hear the Lord say, but this I have against you. As we hear those words today from Christ, let's remember Hebrews 12 that the Lord's discipline in our lives is always loving and always perfect and will always bear good fruit for us. I, and I'm sure all of you, can think of times when the Lord brought trials and hardships into your life or discipline of some kind, but I'm certain you can look back on those times and see how you grew in your faith and how you saw your sin more clearly, and how the Lord was working in your heart. Sometimes it takes time, but I can look back on times in my life when I see the Lord's working through difficulty. Hebrews twelve eleven says, <clears throat> "'For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness.'" to those who have been trained by it. That's God's promise to us and to you. In verse 4, Jesus says, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And some translations say, you have turned away from your first love. The Old Testament is full of examples of how The people of God turned away from their first love. Think of the evil kings in the time of the Old Testament of Israel and Judah, and I think of Ahab and Manasseh. But also think about how the word describes godly kings, for example, Josiah. Not turning to the right or to the left is a description given of the good kings not turning to the right or to the left. This is a great example of a description, a believer not turning away from his first love, not turning away from the love he had at first. So what happened in Ephesus then that caused them to turn away from their first love? Well, we aren't certain exactly what happened but we may be able to draw some conclusions about the world and the time that they lived in. Much like today, there was pressure from the culture on those who professed faith in Christ. The Romans at this time did not recognize Christianity as a religion as it did with Judaism. The Christians had no official protection from anyone in the Roman government. Recently, I watched a video series of, on the seven churches of Revelation, and the presenter describes how difficult it would have been for Christians in that day to join trade guilds in their cities because often these guilds had pagan gods and goddesses as their patrons. So, when one went to a guild meeting… Very likely prayer would have been offered to the god or goddess and perhaps an offering made to the god or goddess of that guild. Imagine for a second the pressure that that would have put on the early Christians. Even if it costs us our lives, let us not abandon the love we had for Christ, that we have for Christ. And we can be certain that the one true ultimate first love of any believer or of any true church is love for Christ, for his person, for his word, for his work of salvation by grace through faith alone. So, what is love for Christ then? Well, first, our love for Jesus is a love for his person, for who he is. Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity who became incarnate for us, taking to Himself a fully human nature, yet without sin, and who died and rose again for us that we may be forgiven and have eternal life. It is love for Jesus Christ as our Good Shepherd. Jesus loves and cares for His sheep like a true shepherd. Think and reflect on that today. Jesus is our good shepherd, risen Savior, the way, the truth, and the life. Second, our love for Jesus is a love for his word. Is the word of God first and most important in your life, in your family's life, in our church? Is God's Word the standard of your life, or is it merely something to read on Sunday morning? These are all questions that we need to ask ourselves. Third, love for Jesus is love for His work of salvation. Jesus tells us in John chapter 6 that all the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. Matthew twenty twenty eight says the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. In Romans five eight, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Does this fire your spirit with love for your risen Savior, Christ? Is knowing him greater than knowing or having anything else in the world? These are all questions to ask ourselves and all questions so to know that we, our love for Christ does not cool. Now, it's true that many people claim to love Jesus today, but do we truly love him for who he is, the Son of God, and for his work of saving us from our sins and from spiritual death, from saving us from eternal punishment in hell? for our sins. These are things that we all need to think of so that we can come back to the love we had at first, both in our lives and as Redeemer Church. In verse 5, then, we see Jesus' final instruction to the Ephesians. Remember and repent. Remembering is a call and a challenge for us. Was there a time in the past in your life or of our church's life when you were more, quote, on fire for the Lord? Remember that time. Don't forget it. Isaiah 44 says, remember these things, O Jacob, and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Recalling to mind God's mercy and grace is a part of repenting and remembering. Jesus says also, Ephesians, you must repent and do the works you did at first. And maybe the Ephesian church were very strong in teaching and preaching Maybe they were very strong in evangelism and disciple-making, but they had cooled off somehow. And like them, it's the same for us today. It is easy to let our fire for the Lord cool. Challenges in our lives from the world, from our flesh, from our enemy, Satan, can all cause us to turn away from Christ. If that describes you today, then I urge you and challenge you to repent and turn back to him. He is a faithful shepherd, and he will forgive and restore. We hear a challenging message today from our Lord and Savior. If you're like me, you may have read over this part of Revelation and breezed through it without really thinking. But let's stop then and pause for just a minute and make sure that we have not turned from our first love, that we as believers, that we as Redeemer, and this is where God's Word is like a mirror. It helps us see where our heart is, and I pray that for each of you today. Let's be challenged, but let us also be encouraged. Jesus Christ is faithful, and he will not let you go. Remember and repent. If your love for him seems to have cooled, know that he forgives he restores. He is your Lord and Savior and your shepherd. Let's pray together. Thank you, gracious Father, for just a, a few minutes we have to think of your word today. And Lord, we do thank you for the challenging word we hear in, in Revelation 2 from the words of Christ, our Savior. And Father, we pray now as a church that if we need to repent and return to you, that we would do that today. Father, I pray for Redeemer now that we as a church would not lose sight of our first love, that we would come back to you. Father, that we would trust you and we would lift high our Savior, Jesus Christ, and lift high his word. Lord, let us be challenged today, but let us be encouraged. And Father, we know that you are gracious and loving. You heal and restore, and we thank you for that today. Father, bless us now as we come to the table. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.